0: This is Inside the Writer's Head with Emma Carlson Byrne, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2018 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the Library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Emma Carlson Byrne.
1: I'm Emma Carlson Byrne this year's Public Library Writer-in-Residence and the host of Inside the Writer's Head. My guest this month is Terry Robita. She's been an editor at American Girl Publishing for the last 15 years. Terry is responsible for overseeing the Melody series for American Girl, which centers around an African-American girl growing up in 1960s Detroit. She's also edited the Nania series, about a Hawaiian girl living in Honolulu when Pearl Harbor is attacked. She's edited books for Kaya, Molly, Samantha, and Addie, and she's written puzzle and activity books for nearly all the historical characters. She's right in the midst now of editing the contemporary Girl of the Year 2019 series, about which she cannot say one word. I was lucky enough to have Terry as my editor on my very first American Girl book, The Roar of the Falls. Terry was insanely patient and smart, as well as being a hell of a lot of fun to talk to. If there's a better combination in an editor, I don't know what that is. Terry, I'm so glad you're here to talk.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm delighted to be chatting with you.
1: So, tell us about how you started out in editing. What was your first editing job? Did you set out to be an editor, or did you fall into it along the way to something else?
2: No, this editing is probably my dream job. I first started back in college. I was a peer writing tutor in uh, the UW Stevens Point uh, Academic Achievement Center, and that was a fantastic experience because I was basically an editor for my peers. We would have one-on-one appointments, and they would bring their writing, and I would walk them through um, advice and guidance. And that really was my first experience and my dream job. And I was lucky enough to land it many years later through a variety of, um, horrible and not so horrible retail jobs (laughs) and some other really awful experiences. But, um, I, I knew I wanted to stay in Madison, Wisconsin, which is my hometown. And there aren't a lot of publishers in, in Madison. So I was lucky enough to get into American Girl. Um, I applied for a copy editing job in the uh, in the catalog. And I was actually brought in to interview for a marketing position. Um, and I had no background in marketing, but I had been working in a children's bookstore that also was a teacher supply store. So I had some... Uh, experience with the teacher and library market and they needed a marketing manager for the school and library a part of their publishing business. So that's how I came to American Girl. And I spent five years doing marketing. And I had a lot of experience in children's books because I had worked in children's uh, retail stores for many years. And then I came into editorial after five years in marketing. And I've been here ever since. And yep, this is exactly what I want to do and love to do.
1: So it sounds like you um, were trained on the job as opposed to going through um, you know, a university program or. Uh, You apprenticed at American Girl, is that right?
2: Right. Yep, that's a great way to say it. And I started out doing a lot of our sidelines, so our um, puzzle books and um, mysteries, and so not necessarily developing a character, but writing content for characters that already existed, which was a great way to get into the experience of immersing myself in the research and understanding what the focus of each of the characters um, are and then developing content around that.
1: Yep. Got it. Got it. Um, so American Girl is a pretty special and I think unique press. I have absolutely oh, loved good. writing for it. And I have found as an American Girl author that the books and the dolls evoke really strong reactions in people. I often tell people I'm a writer and I get a pleasant reaction. When I tell them I write American Girl books, I get a really mm-hmm. strong reaction. Mm-hmm. Um Personally, I don't know if you have a similar memory, Terry. We're about the same age. But I was not allowed to have an American Girl doll growing up because my mother thought that they were too Mm -hmm. expensive. But I do remember that the catalog would arrive at my house. And this was in the early days of the press of the um, company had really just gotten started. And this doll catalog, had a lot of text in Mm -hmm. it, and I would read it like it was a magazine, like it was a treasure, I would pore over it, I would kind of imagine what I was going to order. It was really uh, it was really special, and I found that a lot of people have similar memories. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what makes American Girl special, unique as a publisher, and can you tell us briefly a little bit about its history?
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, it's definitely unique in that each character is a whole world. So you're not just getting a story, but you're also getting, if you go down the road of product a doll and clothing and accessories and furniture and so what you're reading on the page can come to life in whatever way you can afford Um, and It's more than just a story. It's, you know, the days before we had Netflix and everything going um, from the page to the screen, it was a way to bring those characters to life and through the dolls and and the clothes and the product. But also because all of this exists together, you get such a rich sense of this character, even if you don't own the doll or any of the product because the catalog is there and the website is there and you can see these three-dimensional uh, manifestations of this character's world—it's uh, just really a, a rich and satisfying experience, um, and and so we're—it's definitely different from other presses in that. We not only are creating a character, but then we're extending it and creating her world, um, all in one place. And so we're working together to make sure that what product is designing is matching what editorial is creating. Um, as far as the history of American Girl, but that's a whole another podcast, probably. But it was, you know, very briefly, it was the brainchild of Pleasant Roland, who was an educator and who wanted uh, books that would tell the story of American history, but also put girls in, um, in the center of the action. And what better way to do that than to tell the story through a nine-year-old girl's perspective and to show how a girl uh, who may not be able to affect change in a big way can still affect change in her own world and be impacted by the events going on. And that's been the success of American Girl, I think, in part because it's showing today's girls how they are essential Role players in their own experiences that that the choices that they make and the actions that they take have an impact um, not only on their lives but the lives of the people around them and they're influenced by what's going on um, in current events just as much as Molly was influenced by the war or Samantha was influenced by the turn of the century and and modernizations so it, it really we're we're putting the girl in the center of the action and. I think that's been a life changer for a lot of kids. Oh, I
1: completely agree. And, you know, your uh, experience editing, for the most part, it sounds like, and certainly my experience writing has been with the uh, historical characters of American Girl. Right. Um, There's also a lot of um, contemporary books and series. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, my experience and my impression of working with American Girl has been that American Girl values historical accuracy very highly. Um, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, Terry, but American Girl employs two historians who are available. At least they were available to me as an author um, mm-hmm. to help me. They're available to the editors. I uh, believe we work with the editors. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, Terry, but um, the all of the historical books are vetted by um, and created with a historical advisory council. Is that right?
2: generally we do we we certainly do seek outside advisors on um, particular topics if our we, we currently have one historical researcher um, who's brilliant and any intelligence that I exude, i think is due entirely to our historical research team um, and so we often will will consult with advisors particularly when we're developing um ethnic characters. So for example, with Kaya, our Native American character, it was extremely important to us to be uh, accurate and authentic. And so we did gather um, many people from the current Nez Perce tribe, as well as people who are experts in the Nez Perce. And they worked extensively with us on everything from the story and the themes and the action to the texture of the doll's hair and the clothing that she would wear and the food that she would eat. So Um, Yeah, we do go to great lengths to get it right, because we're not only telling the story of a particular moment in time, we're always telling the story of a particular culture or person, and we want to respect that individual story and tell it as authentically as possible.
1: Well, and I think that really shows in the quality of the books. You know, these worlds are very richly layered. And one mm-hmm. thing I've always admired about American Girl, which is a difficult balance sometimes when writing for children, is the uh, the balance between historical accuracy and, uh, you know, appropriate or appealing reading. American Girl books do not shy right. away from difficult details. These are books for children, and it's always kept in mind. But these are real worlds, and they're presented mm-hmm. as real
2: yeah absolutely. We feel it's very important to show you know the good with the bad and to be as realistic as we can, but also um, age appropriate um, and there those those are always questions that we talk at great length with our advisors about because generally those advisors are people that aren't coming from uh, the world of writing, but they have a lot of insight and wisdom and um, just a, a very generous approach to saying, what do we want to teach our young readers about this part of history or about our this part of our culture? And there is, always going to be some negative with the positive, And often the negative is what gets you to the positive. So yeah, we do take good care in being as realistic as possible.
1: Absolutely. So mm-hmm. let's switch gears slightly from talking about American Girl as a publisher okay. in a company to talking about you personally, and also talking about editing as a business. Um, okay, this podcast is for writers, many of whom are aspiring, some of whom are experienced. Um, and I think that a glimpse into the world and life of an editor um, would be very interesting um, for our listeners. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about some of the specific projects that you've worked on if you can name a favorite, I know that might be like picking a favorite child. Um, but
2: yeah, we, we all say we don't have one, but we do. <laughs> absolutely.
1: That's right. And, and as with the parents too, sh- don't anyone tell my three children. Um, yeah, exactly. And
2: tell us about if there's any that
1: have been, let's say, particularly difficult to bring from conception mm-hmm. to publication. Um, talk to us about a particular book or series that really stands out for you.
2: Sure. Well, I, the Melody series that I worked on was just, it was um, personally so fulfilling and satisfying, I think largely because the author and the people that we worked with as advisors, they were giving us oftentimes professional uh, experiences and um, information, but also very personal. Our author was an African-American woman who grew up not quite in the 60s, but, but close to it and had experienced um, growing up in Louisiana uh, a lot of the racial tension and prejudice that our our uh, Melody character goes through. And the people on the advisory board were everyone from Julian Bond, who was uh, an activist in the 60s, a very important uh person um, at that time to people who have written about the topic. And so for me to have all of this information together, literally in one room, and to hear the stories of these people who lived through a monumental time in our history, at a time when this was right when the Black Lives Matter movement was in full swing, when we were seeing how current events were so mirroring past events. It was just such a... An intellectually stimulating and just kind of goosebump invoking process to see, and then to go from having these conversations and meetings to see the words on the page, to see the product developed here at American Girl. It was just all so satisfying, and um, I just have really, really great memories of that process.
1: it sounds like it really was. And as a later writer of the Melody books, I drew heavily on Denise Lewis Patrick's work. I spoke to her and um, I was the grateful um, recipient of all of the hard work that you and the advisory council and Denise put in to write those books. Um, Mm -hmm. It was wonderful.
2: Yeah, it was great. And there's so much information that you gather that you want to share with the reader, and it's just not possible to put all of it into one volume or two volumes or three volumes. So it's always a joy to talk about that process in that series because there's just so much that I learned that was personally and professionally really – it really – Amazing!
1: You wish it could be eight volumes, or there could be several, yes, like, you know, exactly. a, a support volumes attached to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the life of an editor, I think, is somewhat shrouded in mystery for many writers. Mm. Um, editors are gatekeepers; they are decision makers, and ideally, editors are partners. But often, for writers, editors are just voices on the end of the phone or on the end of email. So tell us a little bit about your daily life as an editor, as a writer, we're sitting at our desks at home and we're writing and we're, you know, the office is far away from mm-hmm. us. Most of my editors, all of them are, are far away in the country and I never meet most of them. So take mm-hmm. us through a typical editor's day, a your day, step by step. How do you divide your time at the office?
2: Well, I would imagine that an editor's day looks an awful lot like a writer's day because I think a lot of the tasks that we do are quite similar. So, um, you know, the hardest part of my day is always getting out of the house and away from my four-year-old and, you know, explaining that I do have to leave and I'd love to stay home and play my little ponies, but it's time to go. Um, And so luckily she understands that mommy writes books and mommy helps write books. So that's, you know, that's a joy to be able to transition from that fun part to another fun part. So I spend a lot of my day reading and I'm either reading what my authors have sent me or I'm reading research or source materials or uh, here at American Girl, we do a lot of research on what girls are interested in and what their activities are today. So we have a lot of consumer insights that I pour through. Um, And then there's you know a good amount of pondering i i will often you know realize it's been a couple of hours since i've gotten up and i need some coffee and and i'll maybe read a paragraph that i'm or a page that i'm not quite sure what to do with and i'll get a little bit of a walk in and that helps generate some ideas i'll talk to some other authors and, or editors rather, researchers here. Um, Probably one of the unique things about American Girl is that we're very collaborative in our process. So anything that an author sends me is always gonna be read by at least one other editor and by the historical researcher. And so the three of us, or sometimes four of us, will have conversations. uh, And then we'll also loop in our product developers and designers and have conversations with them. So I'm fortunate in that I think the isolation that sometimes you feel in this field is um, is dispersed a little bit. In that, I have I get to have a lot of conversations with people about the characters and the stories that we're developing. Um, and then a lot of my time is spent writing back to or composing my thoughts to have a conversation with an author and provide feedback. And probably the you know the the biggest part of my job that nobody really knows about is how much time I do spend. Uh, putting together thoughts and emails or cover letters ah. about that feedback because I want it to be, I want it to be constructive and I want it to be helpful, but I also want it to be positive. And when you're dealing with particularly with historical topics, there are just so many layers, and you don't want it to get too confusing. But I also want it to be clear. So that's probably the biggest chunk of my time is is providing and composing feedback back to our authors in a way that's going to be helpful and constructive and encouraging.
1: Well, you know, and Terry, as someone who is the recipient, direct recipient of that exact process, I can um, attest to the fact that American Girl's feedback from the author end is fairly unique. I've worked with many editors at many different presses, and I can say that um, feedback really ranges. um, But when I started working with American Girl, I was blown away by the care that editors took, you and the other editors I worked with, with the feedback. It was so deep and rich and something. You know, authors, oh, our egos are so touchy, Mm -hmm. and American Girls' feedback was always so delicately worded and positive and encouraging, and you would read it and just feel like, oh, we're all in the same team, and this book is only going to get better with the help of my editor at the other end of this email. It was a great feeling, one that authors don't often have.
2: Right, right. Well, and that's something that we take a lot of care in doing, and I think – I don't know if it's because our audience is children or if all of us uh, as editors really understand how personal and vulnerable uh, the writing process is, but we do want to take care that every word on the page is constructed by somebody who's pulling from their own personal experiences. And sometimes the you know, the choice you as an author make, which is based on a lot of information and and a lot of research, you're making those choices for a reason. And we want to be able to respect that. Now, obviously, if you get something factually wrong, we can be a little more straightforward about that. But, um, you know, my goal is always if something's important to an author, I want to do everything I can to help make it successful on the page.
1: I think that is brilliant, Terry. So editing is a giant field. I mean, there are books written about it and university Mm -hmm. programs about it, and we are certainly not going to try to address all the aspects of editing right now. But for the writers out there who are just getting started, who are a lot of our listeners, and who would like to know a little more about how the editing process works, can you walk us through just a little ABC primer A different uh, talk to us a little bit about the different phases of editing one specific book and what you as an editor look for in different drafts. And I know this is a big topic, but you can just give us the uh, you can give us the, the 101 version.
2: All right. Well, and this will be specific to American Girl, which is certainly different than a lot of, of publishers, because we're working hand in hand with our design department. And the story is informing the character, which is informing the way we talk about and market the doll and the product. So we always start or always try to start with a good amount of research on a particular time period or place or topic that we're trying to cover. And we make sure that we get as immersed as we can in that. And so we'll seek out an author who is either already knowledgeable about a topic or who is really good at getting immersed and um, on board with information, And then there's an outline, and then there's a revision to an outline, and then there's another revision, and then we talk about the outline some more. And we really focus on the character's arc, so that's going to be her emotional arc, and it's going to be her active arc, so that we're creating as interesting and compelling a book as we possibly can. And then we go into the drafting stage and, you know, first drafts have lots of strengths and lots of weaknesses. So we'll, whenever I receive a draft, I try very hard to read the first time through with no pencil in hand. I'm just reading it to get a sense of what the story is and who the character is. Um, then I'll go back and read it a second time with a pen in hand and start making some notes. And um, often that will take me down the rabbit hole of doing research. And I'll realize I've been on one sentence for half a day. Uh, that's very common. Um, and then the collaborative element comes back in for American Girl and that I get together with the historian and Usually, another editor, and talk at length about where the story is and where it needs to go. And then it's the job of crafting either that cover letter or line notes and getting that back to an author. And often that includes a phone call. Um, But always we try to give um, some, you know. key points about what we want to cover in the phone call so that our author isn't surprised or has a little bit of time to ponder. And then we go on to the next draft. And usually around draft two, we share the manuscript with a broader team that includes our brand managers. And uh, we have a yes. legal and safety department that reads our manuscripts to make sure that we're not doing anything <laughs> <Right>. uh, dangerous <laughs> uh, in our <laughs> in our books. And and this is touchy with historical characters. Characters, Because, you know, in, in Kaya's world, she was riding she horses was, without saddles right. and without helmets. So so we have to allow for that while also being uh, aware of our, our contemporary reader and making sure that we're not encouraging her to do something dangerous. Um, and then we also have a legal team that is reading to make sure that we're not... Um, going down uh, the path of representing either, you know, a real person or historical person in a way that's going to cause problems. So there's, there's a permission element to some of our characters. Um, And then we get that feedback and we incorporate that. And usually around the third draft is when our product team jumps in and says, this is a, dress that we're designing, can we work in the description of that or the significance of another product into there? So there are all these layers that come together and the editor's job is really to filter that. And sometimes it's passing along information in, to the writer and saying, please make this change. And sometimes it's making a suggestion and. Um, you know, my my most used phrase in any communication with an author is, or some <laughs> such. Makes us, as it I'll, makes us feel you know, important, make, Terry. We like that. Make a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there, there are so many ways to accomplish a goal in writing or to solve a problem that I don't ever want a writer to feel Absolutely. like it has to be That's right. the way that I'm suggesting. But it can be. You know, if, if you don't have time or you like the way it's reading, then okay, fine, do it. But if not, you can come up with something else. Um, so yeah, then eventually we get to, to the place where the manuscript is put on the page and we all start looking at how it looks and, uh, we do another couple of read throughs and, um, make some more changes and then it goes to copy editing and, you know, th- this is the other, uh, myth that I'll destroy out there, which is yes. many editors are not good copy editors. So, uh, you know, I personally, no, uh, spelling and grammar, not, not my strongest suits, um, Story development, character development, plotting, those sorts of things are what I'm really focusing on. And then we let somebody who has a a clearer head and less of an emotional investment come in and say that word needs to change or should go or is just wrong. Um, Because by this point, we are really heavily emotionally invested in a story. Um, so it's good to have some objective person come in and, and help us clean up a little bit. Um, and then the book is published and everyone is happy and we celebrate. Um, and by that time, we've moved on to something else and, and can read the book Get in and its finished back. product and say, wow, this is a really great book. So that's, yeah, that's it's it a in long a nutshell. Process. <laughs> yeah, it's a exactly. really
1: long process. It's amazing when you it think is. about the amount of work, when you hold the finished book in your hands, I often think of the amount of work by myself and so many other people that went into it. It's really, it's it turns into a precious thing. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And the story that you start to tell is often, it's definitely molded and it changes as you go. And um, it's just a joy to look at where you started and where you ended up.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I can mm-hmm. say as an author the the best moment, as I'm sure many will say, is that day the first box of books arrives at your house and you open it mm-hmm. up and there's your book inside and you get to take it out and hold it. it makes
2: everything Yep, worth and then it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So let's talk a little bit about pet peeves, Terry. You're a very nice person oh. and you're a very nice editor, but I am sure uh-huh. that you editors have some things that you really don't like to see from authors. So tell us, now is our mm-hmm. chance to hear it from you. What pitfalls should authors avoid when interacting with their editors?
2: Um well in terms of writing, you know, the the show don't tell is is as true now as it is when you're in a a high school or college level creative writing class, that there are times that as an author, I can tell uh, the author might be sort of plotting out a, a story and, and sort of, Slotting in a, this is going to be a funny scene here or a dramatic scene here or or something. And then once we get to like the second or third draft, and that hasn't gone beyond a placeholder of telling, um, that's when I start to say, okay, we need to see this happen. We can't just be told that something funny happens. We have to see it. Um, and, it, you know, it's a little bit of a pet peeve when you have to repeatedly call that out. But books are long and there are lots of things going on. And, and between draft two and draft three, you often don't have time to address everything. So it's it's understandable. Um but in terms of the, the process, gosh, I don't know if I really don't know oh, if I have any repeatees so done. Nice. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, truly, every book is different. I, I think maybe the the challenge is if there's an author I've worked with repeatedly um, who kind of stumbles over the same things or. Um, but, you know, but I can't even come up with an example right now because I, I really all the authors I work with are just, um, you know, they're great and they're working hard and, and they're taking in a lot of information and a lot of feedback. Aww. And um, and I guess that's that's maybe that's maybe the the pet peeve. I, we can turn this positive into a negative if we need to, that if you're not taking feedback, if you're really stuck on saying this is how I've written it and this is how I want it and it's not going to change, um, that's that's difficult to work with. And and here's the one example of a book that did not make it into print. Um, and you'll know right away why, that we were doing a mystery for our Julie character. And so Julie's story is set in the 1970s and a lot of her uh, story themes are about environmentalism and about girls being able to do things, the whole title nine. And this author wanted to set the story on a beach and have the characters discover a cave that was full of drugs. And, okay. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's not really the that's, that's not what we want to tell yeah. our ten-year-old readers. It's not. <laughs> right. It's not really brand appropriate for American Girl. Uh, uh, and so, yeah. you know, I went through the process of writing up an editorial letter and explaining why this wasn't going to work, and they're. The next draft was that it was the character's older sister and her friends who found the drugs.
1: <laughs> still, drugs, they, right? Those drugs just stick around; they won't leave.
2: And they were in a cave. So, yeah, so that, yeah, so that was a really frustrating example of a, a time where the information and feedback I was providing was really not just not wasn't sinking getting in. through, right. right? And you know the. The author wanted to tell a really particular story, and it probably was a great story, but it was just not a great story for American Girl.
1: Well, you know, Terry, I... um your story reminds me of when I worked on my one of my uh, the second to last American Girl book that I worked on which was a mystery for Kaya and I worked with a fantastic editor who is now retired called Peg Ross mm-hmm. and uh, it really was one of my very favorite books I've ever written and we worked so hard on it and it was really hard to get the idea and as we were Going back and forth with Peg, I was, you know, I would this idea and that idea, nothing was really panning out. At one point I conceived of an idea that all of these horses, these books were very horse-based. We're mm-hmm. going to get sick, and uh, and there was going to be, like, a disease, and Kaya was going to investigate the disease and, you know, help the horses. I loved mm-hmm. this idea. I thought it got it all planned out. I thought, like, this is it. We're, we're off. We're off to the races. Disease it is. Here we go. And Peg, right. in the most kind and supportive way, told me that it was really not going to work because disease is not that pleasant to read about for a long time. <laughs> like, a little disease, fine, but, like, an entire book about dying horses, like, it's a little bit depressing. Pressing, especially for ten-year-old readers, and I yeah. was so bummed out. I loved this disease idea, and I had to put it aside. And in the end, we came mm. up with a, what I thought was a great idea about an old legend, and um, it was a super fun book to write. But you know, it's you get ideas in your head; they're great, and oh, you got to put mm-hmm. them aside. But you got to be willing to. I mean, the, these books are not going to yeah. be read by just you.
2: Right, right. And again, you're working for a very particular brand with a particular audience and mission. And so a wonderful book. I, I have no doubt, Emma, that you would have written a fantastic book about oh, diseased horses. Thanks, Terry. And I would definitely <laughs> read it. Um, but probably not under the American Girl logo. <laughs> no, that's right. There's Maybe there's another venue for right, a right, herd of dying horses, right. you know. But it's got to be like a, a, a plague-focused press out there some, somewhere. I'm sure. Sure, there's you know
1: disease press ink right. or something right. like that would publish it. If not, <laughs> if
2: not, you and I should start it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Terry. I okay. can see the wave of the future. I can too. It's
2: going to be a good logo.
1: <laughs> so, Terry, we are almost done talking. I have a couple questions sure. for you. More, our second to last question: Talk to us just very briefly about uh, the opposite of our previous question. What do you really like to see in writers? What makes a writer stand out in your mind, or what makes a writer particularly? easy or good or fun or smart to work
2: with? Well, I can think about working with you when I answer this question. I mean, seriously, (laughs) whenever we have an author that can take – Feedback of this isn't working and we need to solve it, and who can come back and proactively say, Here's one idea, even if it's an idea that doesn't necessarily work. You know, the disease idea, I'm sure Peg was very <laughs> appreciative of. He even was. Though, yes, I'm, I can just imagine her writing that oh, email to you.
1: She was brilliant. Um,
2: but someone who is going to be proactive and creative in solving problems is always absolutely wonderful. Uh, for us, an, an author who's a strong outliner is a real plus because as we're developing a character story, there are other parts of the company that are developing that character's world. And so they need as much information as they possibly can get about what that story is going to be. And obviously, a lot of writers are going to discover that character as they write, and we want them to do that. But we also need them to come to the table with a really clear idea of who she is and what her world is and who her supporting characters are from the get-go so that we can start fleshing that out in the many different ways that we do that here. Um, So having a really clear idea and knowing who this character is and knowing what her quirks are is extremely helpful, Um, but, and also an author that is flexible and able to, um, you know, get on the phone and have a conversation if something's not working and come up with some solutions uh, is always just a joy to work with. And, and of course, somebody who's fun to talk with and who has great personal experiences that they can draw on and, and obviously craft in a age appropriate way is, is just a treat. And all, you know, every author I've ever worked with is, knowledgeable about some particular topic that comes into play in a book, and it's just really fun to see them use an experience, you know, a a job they had after college for six months suddenly can inform what they're writing about for an American Girl book. So it's always fun to see. Oh, well, and as
1: a writer, I can tell you that that is a great pleasure when you are able to uh, mine those experiences. All of a sudden, those six months you spent temping in a lighting housing factory has suddenly appeared in print, and it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Right.
2: so mm-hmm. yep or if nothing you have nothing else the name of some person that you worked with that just drove you crazy can suddenly become the bad guy in a story oh That's absolutely
1: <laughs> you know I once put the name of a mean girl from my middle school in a book and I meant to change it before the draft went any further and I forgot and Oops. the next thing I knew the
2: book was in print and there was her um, name
1: out in the middle of that I won't I won't reveal which one it is you don't
2: need to reveal it but I'm, oh, no. I'm sure that that was that was satisfying in the way that it, it needed to be it was it was mm-hmm. cathartic so Terry yes. our final question you have six
1: Words, no more. Give a, that's right. Give a piece of advice to all the aspiring writers out there from an editor who knows in
2: six words. Help us keep going. Hmm. hmm. Okay. Don't lose sight of your voice. Whoa!
1: I'm writing it down. Six words. That is Look at really that. about that. As a real editor. Don't lose sight of your voice. That is great, Terry. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Explain it a little bit.
2: Well, (laughs) It's a little contrary to what we've been talking about. Uh, you know, you need to know the press that you're writing for if it's something specific like American Girl. But you also need to bring your own experience to that because, you know, particularly women writers who are writing for girl readers, you are empowering the next generation. And the most awful experience maybe you had as a kid growing up or as a young adult, if you can put that into the page in a, in a way that can influence or inform or help another girl. Wow, that's that's using your voice and that's using your own experiences and honoring who you are as a person to to speak about what life has been for you and help somebody else understand that their struggles are legitimate and valid but they don't have to be insurmountable.
1: Oh, Terry, that is those are great words. I am so glad that we could talk today. It has been a joy. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you. For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm Writer-in-Residence, Emma Carlson-Byrne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head.
0: Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Emma at various events throughout the year or at open office hours on the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. until noon at the Coryville Branch Library. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening.